most marketers and entrepreneurs have been approached probably by someone on LinkedIn trying to send them hundreds of LinkedIn leads with little to no work. Or you maybe you listen to a rogue sales agent who wants to buy an email list off the internet's black market. And be honest, you probably thought about attracting these leads, quote unquote leads, and and in order to make your cold outreach a little bit more efficient. Hell, you might have even paid for it. But collecting these contacts in a somewhat shady way still has the problem of that next step. Reaching outbound to folks who may have never heard of you or the emails on that list being actually bad. So how do we clean up that list and make it a little bit more manageable? That's what we're going to talk about on today's show as our main topic. Welcome into another episode of Cyberly. I'm your host, Blythe Bramley. And on this show, we talk about B2B marketing, the attention economy, and how it all fits into the world of logistics. And in today's episode, we are talking about how to clean up that shady email list. We're talking to the VP of marketing, Jeff Lerner. He's telling us about Flock Freight's email, not email marketing strategy, but I'm sure they actually include email in their strategy. But he's talking about his marketing strategy for this year in the past and moving forward into 2022. And then Ilhan Coco, Holko is the chief product officer over at ProGlove. And he's going to be telling us about how their wearable industrial technology helps workers and warehouses all across the country and really all across the world feel like they're Iron Man and, and makes it a little bit more easier for those workers in order to do their job without having to pick up a barcode scanner every five seconds. Then to finalize the show, we were going to get into a topic that I'm really pumped about. It's called the logistics of Antarctica and how products and shipping and, and all of the food storage and workers, how all of that functions down in the coldest place on earth. But first, let's go ahead and dive into our first topic. And, and I, I want to bring this up because about a year ago, I was guest co-hosting on Put That Coffee Down, and we brought up a survey or a study that was done by the Logistics Marketing Advisors. And this study included 100 industry professionals who are on the receiving end of marketing messages from 3PLs, carriers, software companies, and other logistics businesses. The biggest takeaway that I still have from that survey from just a year ago is that 72% of those people want to be contacted via email. And they said personalizing the email was important along with including quality information on how your company can bring value to the prospect that you're going after. Closest to this communication metric was 11% saying useful online content that speaks to a challenge a potential customer is dealing with. So predominantly, the biggest takeaway is that 72% prefer to be contacted via email. Now, the reason that I bring this up is a current situation that I find myself in because a few weeks ago, I signed up for an inbound marketing event. It was a few day long event. And in, in case you're not aware, inbound marketing is the process of creating content that brings users to you that you don't have to go outbound to them. They come inbound to you because of the content that you're creating is probably solving a problem, speaking to a pain point that that customer may have had. Well, I signed up for this inbound marketing conference and I signed up with the idea thinking that I'm going to get free content in exchange for my information being shared with the event sponsors. A few weeks later and about 30 emails later, I'm slightly annoyed, especially considering that this was an inbound marketing conference and I'm getting a ton of information and a ton of sponsor message messages that are not relevant to me in addition to the daily onslaught of email that I already get. So 30 additional emails from companies that I've never heard of. Maybe some of them I have heard of, but honestly, I didn't look at the email long enough. I just saw that I knew that it was from this event. So I just immediately click unsubscribe. I don't even read the message. It's still a little annoying, 
But I also tried to put myself in the marketer's shoes of the people who are sending that messaging out because it's probably not their fault. And so they're, they're probably, their, their strategic thinking is, well, these people are in, interested in inbound marketing. Our tool helps somehow. Let's see if we can get even a little bit of a bite on that hook that, that we're sending out uh, into uh, the world of marketers and people who are just interested in inbound marketing. So how would I handle that situation if I was one of them? And and I think that this sort of speaks to a larger issue of collecting quote unquote leads and not doing it the right way. And the right way being you're creating valuable content that brings somebody to your site or brings somebody to your, your social media platforms and they follow you, they choose to subscribe, they choose to engage with you and even subscribe to your email newsletter. But let's be honest, we've all been approached by someone in our LinkedIn DMs, which is obviously a, a canned message that's going out to a bunch of people. Uh, you probably also found ourselves in a situation where a rogue sales agent wants to go out and buy a list. Maybe they want to just use a data scraper in order to collect that information off of Zoom, off of another shady ass website. You know who you are, uh, but you think that it's an easy win. And it's not an easy win because in reality, you have to sort through that data and in order to find something that might be worth it, that might make the juice worth the squeeze. Uh, but there's only one way to really figure that out. And that's to send an email to that list and, and see if that is a, a good message in order to take approach to or, or in order to, I, I guess, attack a large email list. Um, so I'm putting myself in those marketer shoes and I'm going to tell you how I would handle that and maybe how I've handled this when it's happened to me in, in the past of working at a 3PL when someone comes to me with a 80,000 email contact list that they bought off the internet, which is a true story that I actually had to do. So a few tips of where I would start. Tip number one, you should be hiring a freelancer, Upwork, Fiverr, one of those freelancer platforms to do what's called a bulk email validation. Now, what this does is it, you're essentially taking the list that you have and you're sending it over to this person who's going to test the legitimacy of that list. They're going to test all of the emails that are in that list. And what it's going to do is it's going to test the uh, bounce backs, the legitimacy if that email actually goes through or if it is bounced back, if you end up in the spam folder. Um, it's going to test a lot of things in order to bulk validate that email list. And so then that once that freelancer runs it through whatever software that they're using, um, I'm not exactly sure what kind of software they're using. I'm sure they keep that to themselves so no one else can find out about it. But what they do is they then have that list that is sent back to them that's quote unquote clean. And so then the next step that you have to do is then start to add that list into a CRM. If you do not have a current CRM, HubSpot has a great one that you can go out and you can use. Um, I believe it's still free. So you can just upload your list through there, but it makes that data that you now have for that cold outreach, at least a little bit manageable because the next part is, is being organized with your outreach. You could just do a spray and pray method and just hope that it doesn't get any kind of bad brand awareness on your name or you can just slowly attack that list and start to, to carve out maybe 20 to 50 emails a day and sending a personalized message. But it, it, the personalization part is where a lot of marketers or a lot of sales rep, they just choose want to skip entirely and they don't want to mess around with the time to actually segment an email properly. So this is what you, you should do next. Upload it to a CRM. And then after you have it uploaded to a CRM, that's when the organization can start. And from there, then it makes things a little bit easier to manage because then you know who's working on what and who isn't working on what. A true story of whenever this issue happened, 
that this person bought an email list and it was my job to sort of sort through that the, I just didn't have time to get to it. And so the sales team ended up running with it. And so when they have 80,000 contacts, all they're doing is hitting control all, copy and paste. And then that's how they're sending out their mass emails. Not only is that dangerous in order for your, your domain purposes, it, it, it could cause your domain to be uh, marked as spam. All of your future communications, including important information, maybe load updates and, and, and driver communications, things like that end up in the spam folder as well on their end of things. It just helps you to keep things organized and who is working what. Because in that example that I've been talking about, this woman that was a, a, a sales rep within the company, she had been working an account for months. She had been trying to get the business from this company. And they said, and I quote, how can I trust you with your freight if you don't even know what's going on in your own building? And the reason he said that is because two of those rogue sales agents ended up hitting him up in the same day with emails entering his inbox when he had already been talking to somebody from the company. So she ended up losing that business and losing those that months of work because somebody within the office wanted to go rogue and in order to take the easy way out. So that's the reason why you put it into a CRM and you keep things organized. Now, the next tip that I want to give you is the final one, not really the final one, but we have a few, a couple more. So craft your messaging and put it into a template form because bonus points if you have a sequence of emails based on the user reaction to it. Um, other things to think about is you want to customize the first name if you can. Personalization is key. If not, it's more important now really than ever before. Um, and if you sponsor, another example too is maybe you didn't buy a shady example or a shady email list off the internet, or maybe you didn't you know, fall for one of these LinkedIn leads. So I don't want to call it a scam because you're getting contact info, but it's definitely not leads because leads have to be able to show some kind of intent on working with you to be qualified as a lead. But if you sponsored an event and maybe you you have this contact information, I would suggest waiting a week or two because those first few days after that event that I spoke about earlier ended and I started getting all of these sponsored emails sent my way, it was the, with it, the bulk of them were sent within a few days of that, of that event ending. Now, the ones that stood out a little bit more, even though I know that's where they got my contact information, they were the ones that sent it a week or two after the event. And so if you do get some kind of a list like that, that's the only thing that I would suggest is because you just you don't want to fall into the mix with everybody else that's wanting to jump at the bit in order to do business with you um, that or that's trying to do business with you. So think about that from a sponsorship standpoint, if you're sending out those messages, and then also don't include any HTML or fancy graphics. If you're doing that, if you're doing an initial cold outreach, sometimes those emails end up in a promotional tab within the email, or they end up going straight to spam because a lot of companies have very, very high standards for the emails that come through uh, on their platform. So you could your email could immediately just be sent to spam or just be sent to a promotions tab, and you wouldn't even know it. So keep it on a plain text, limited links. And then that way your, your email has a greater chance of hitting the inbox. And then also get right to the point in the message. I mean, don't be afraid to have fun with it and make it about them, not you. So the problems that you solve for your customers, list that in the email. And then let's look at the, the a next example that I have here because Andrew Silver, he's the CEO over at Molo Solutions. He's one of the, 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 the better, I guess, LinkedIn posters, if that's the right phrase. But he talks about how many emails that, that he gets and emails that he sends. And he talks about the, the, his perspective on 
on sending those emails out. I'm going to read this to you. He says, successfully sending cold solicitation emails in this industry is hard. I think most folks managing transportation these days get hundreds of emails every week that look pretty similar. I like to get creative once in a while and have some fun with it, especially if I'm on my eighth or ninth unresponded to solicitation. My favorite by far is the one I've used for the last few years, but it's only relevant for about a week at a very specific time of the year. And that's this week. It has to be during the first week of November to work. And it's just a one sentence email. Halloween's over. You can stop ghosting me now. And he says, he ends it, the, the post was saying, give it a shot. At minimum, you will make your prospect laugh. So he's giving advice like this, of apparently without, not apparently, but he's giving advice like this, depending on, and using the experience of how many emails he sends and how many emails he gets every day on how to stand out in the inbox. So that is, is some good key takeaways. And then one last bonus tip. With iOS removing the ability to see open rates as a data point for your emails, consider adding two to three links within the email itself. Remember, this is a cold outreach. We have an example shown on the screen. And, and, and this is an email that I signed up for that it's not technically a cold outreach, but you can pull an example from this in your cold outreach because inside the email, you can make blogs and resources, links, or you can add blogs and resources from your, your website and add it to the email. And you can segment it by what your company specializes in. So if you think about it from that perspective, maybe you specialize in a, a certain commodity or a certain lane, you add that resource to your website, you add it into this link, you add it into and, and linked in your email. And then that way, if that person opens up the email and they click on one of those links, that will give you an immense amount of information as to what that cold prospect is now interested in in learning more from you. So it makes that next sequence of emails or that next outreach a little less cold. And then that's when you can start really hammering in on the, the personalization aspect. So one important thing and one final thing I want, I want, I want to make sure that I, I have clear is I am not advocating for you to go out and you to purchase email lists and or contact lists or, or any of that sort of shady behavior. But I am telling you from a business owner perspective, from a marketer perspective that's been in this position, that you are given this task, this is your job that you have to, it's an unfortunate reality of the job that you have to do, but there are ways to make it more manageable to where you're not necessarily... Uh, it, it's part of the job. You, you got to do it. And part of that job is just making sure that you're doing it in the, the, a way that's not going to overly upset your audience that you're trying to sell to. So that's the ultimate goal. You're trying to build relationships and try to ultimately make the sale with these people. So trying to do it in a way that you would be receptive. And I think that a lot of these examples are, are ways that you could be receptive to it as well. So let's move on to our first guest who's no stranger to handling market marketing, albeit the right way. Let's bring in Jeff Lerner. He is the VP of Marketing over at Flock Freight. So welcome in, Jeff. Thank you, Blythe. Good to be here. Thank you for coming on the show. Now, now first question, we just got off of my cold email outreach, I guess, platform. Uh, where, are you pro or anti cold email outreach? Uh, is it? Am I allowed to say that I'm I'm pro using it to win business? I am anti receiving all of those emails. <laughs> um, you know, I, I do think there's a time and a place and a way that that email marketing can be effective. I do think that there are ways, and you outlined quite a few of them, to be um, you know smarter about an email marketing strategy. Um, having said that, as somebody who gets you know, tens to hundreds of, of emails and LinkedIn DMs every single day. 
um, there's a line of of what is effective, what is not, and and what is just kind of downright borderline creepy. <laughs> well, well t- tell me about a message that has gotten your attention in the past, maybe one, maybe a cold outreach that has worked on you. You know, I, I do think that anytime a, a marketer or a, a salesperson spends even a few minutes to understand me and, and the business and can include some of that within an email, I am far more likely to respond and read it. Um, you know, even if it's a, something as like, hey, I've been on your website, here's something that I noticed, I have a curiosity about this. Um, you know, that at least shows that there's some level of interest and, so, and some level of, of work being done by that sales rep to treat me as more than just, you know, a name in a database, as you were talking about. Um, and so that is something that I would, would I don't want to necessarily say would respond to all of them, but certainly are more likely to not immediately, you know, delete that email. Now, I, I agree with you 100%, because I think it also matters the time and the day, because in my example that I was laying out earlier, it was just an influx of cold emails. So I imagine if if that's happening to you, where it's just a, a day where you've just gotten too many cold outreaches, it, it doesn't matter what you would do, it's probably going to be deleted or just not responded to or reported as spam. Um, but for you, on, on your end of things, hypothetically, if you were to obtain an email list, how would you approach it as far as making it manageable or or would you even use it at all? Yeah, I mean, I I think you certainly brought up some really good points. I mean, you know, I'm not one for buying email lists. I mean, we've certainly sponsored events where we have access to the attendee list. And I think that's a a little bit of a different story than like the really cold, just buying a list of names. Um, I don't find there to be a tremendous amount of value in that because Again, like, we, are, are these the right decision makers? How old is this list? Um, you know, is it can spam compliant? I mean, there's there's also some legal ramifications around whether or not you're you're sending those emails. So um, it, it's not part of anything that I truly believe in of doing it. But but on the rare occasion that that an email list you know falls my way, or uh, somebody within the organization has access to a list of, of contacts from you know maybe an event that they attended. I think a lot of the points that you made certainly make sense, especially the one regarding including it in your CRM. Um, There is nothing worse than having multiple people from within the organization trying to call upon or email the same prospect um, and having us look like we are disorganized on our end. Absolutely. That that was such a heartbreaking moment when this woman w- was telling me about it. And I just felt for her because she was trying to do things the right way. Um, and then it, you know, it, it ended up with other employees affecting her eventual business outcome. So it's unfortunate for her, but it's also a hard lesson, I think, for a lot of folks out there to to learn. But now that we we know your email strategy secrets, t- tell us a little bit about who Jeff is as, as a person, your career history, how you got into Flock Freight, all that good stuff. Yeah, so uh, I've been in marketing for twenty plus years. The the gray hairs, I don't know if they they come through, you know, <laughs> on this, but but they're there. Um, my career started at Google. I, I joined Google back in two thousand and four. Um, back when Google literally was just the search engine. Uh, back when we didn't even have Gmail yet, so it's kind of weird. But I worked at Google when we used Microsoft Outlook to send our emails. Nice. <laughs> um, and, and I spent I spent about eight years at Google. Um, really learning, you know, the world of marketing, but but I was learning it from the perspective of a media company. And don't get me wrong, the, you know, the rumors of of what life at Google is, you know, is like are all true. I mean, I was eating lobster mashed potatoes for lunch, you know, probably three times a week, and 
you know, all the perks and benefits were amazing. But I wanted to kind of spread my wings a little bit and learn a little bit more about the world of marketing and branding. And so I went to a marketing agency, uh, also in New York, which is where I'm, I'm from. So I have some very strong views of, of, about pizza. So that, that's a hot topic you know, <laughs> issue for me. Um, and so I went to a marketing agency to learn why do, do marketing agencies make the decisions that they do? for their companies and, and their clients? You know, why do they allocate budget towards paid search as opposed to email? Or why do they invest in social media when they could be investing in, in display ads and other things? And so I did that for a while and then had an opportunity to move to San Diego, which I absolutely do not regret because it is sunny and warm and beautiful again today. Um, and worked for uh, Cricket Wireless to help lead their digital marketing efforts and their branding, e-commerce, um, and so for the last, you know, eight years, I've been out in San Diego. And for the last two plus years, about two and a half years, uh, I've been working at Flock Freight, leading, you know, the marketing initiatives and, you know, helping to build a brand from, you know, our, our very early days as, as formerly Optics and then into our, our new branding. I guess it's not really new anymore, but our, our branding, you know, in the world of Flock. And so, so what, what, with all the freight tech, Technology that has come into the space, especially over the last few years. How what is what is Flock Freight doing uh, to to help serve their customers now, and then hopefully in the future? Yeah, so the Flock Freight technology is is fundamentally different than a lot of other tech in the market. Um, while there is so much great tech that helps facilitate carriers and shippers kind of getting paired together, uh, there's a lot of great tech, you know, such as Project Forty Fours of the world. Um, what we do is we fundamentally change the way the freight actually moves. And so we're leveraging algorithms and technology to pool freight at point of purchase. So uh, a customer, a shipper who traditionally might move three to four pallets of goods from the port in LA to Chicago, um, instead of being faced with the choice of, do I just move that LTL and, and you know, deal with some of the potential uh, you know, ramifications of that, of, of, you know, delays of having it loaded, you know, multiple times between, you know, LA and Chicago, or the flip side, do I, does that shipper go the very expensive route of, you know, getting their, their own, their own truck uh, to move that freight, in which case most of that truck may not be, you know, will be empty space. What we do is we say, oh, you know, we'll take your, you know, your few pallets of goods, because we have other shipments that are going in the LA to Chicago uh, lane, and we're going to pair that that shipment with other similar size shipments and other other similar commodities to help move it from start to finish. And so, what we're striving for is a world in which trucks are completely full, where freight moves when it's ready, um, when shippers don't have to worry about constraints of what is uh, what would have tr traditionally been an LTL shipment versus what would have been moved with a consolidator versus what might have been you know, relegated to a, a truckload that that's not completely full. And so by doing all those things, we're also looking to have a positive impact impact on the environment. And that's why we're the, the first and only B Corp in freight and the first and only, you know, logistics provider that can offer a carbon neutral freight shipping option at no extra cost to our shippers. Well, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that brings me to, to my next question. Because on your Instagram profile, you actually have it in your bio that says you're prioritizing people plus the planet as a B Corp. So tell us a little bit about how, you know, Flock Freight is attempting, you're, you're attempting to reach that goal of net zero carbon by 2040. How are you approaching that goal and, 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 and why this goal? 
you know, I, I firmly believe and, and the organization, it's part of our culture and our DNA that uh, achieving this goal, and, and, you know, we certainly hope to do it well before 2040, um, is a vital one for, for just the, the general future of our, our country and our climate and the impact that the trucking industry has traditionally had. Um, we see ourselves with an opportunity to pool freight together to make the freight shipping industry significantly more um, efficient and to remove those trucks that are moving with, with empty space and you know, multiple stops at warehouses and terminals, which also you know, impact climate emissions. And so as a B Corp, you know, part of what makes us a B Corp is our commitment to trying to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And so by offering a carbon neutral freight shipping option, we purchase offsets through Carbon Fund that are literally being used to build uh, charging stations for truck drivers. So, you know, a truck driver at the end of their shift who's normally might have to run their truck in idle to charge their laptop, their iPad, their cell phone so they can call home or, you know, watch some TV or whatever it may be. um, We're helping to build charging stations kind of similar to, I guess you can imagine like a gas pump, but for charging, you know, plugging your items in so that trucks don't need to sit in idle, thus impacting the environment in a negative way. Now, now, obviously, you know, with, with with everything that you just told us that, you know, with being environmentally friendly is very important. And, and I'm sure it helps with, with a lot of your marketing efforts. But how are you who are you marketing to, to now? And 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 how are you, uh, I guess, uh, uh, strategizing those approaches? Or is it what does your outreach look like and why? Yeah, you know, our outreach is, you know, we want to work with with anyone and everyone. I mean, I guess every you know, freight company wants to say that. <laughs> but, you know, one of the areas where we have found a lot of success and we continue to see, and, it, and, it's, and it's very encouraging for us, is we see more and more companies that also have their own sustainability goals. And mm-hmm. more and more organizations have, you know, chief sustainability officers or, you know, other people within their organization that have a sustainability title. And so those organizations are, are the perfect partners for us because they also are on the same wavelength as we are in terms of our ability to have a positive impact on the environment. On the flip side, because we want to fill trucks at scale and thus reduce trucks that are, that are on the road with empty space, it also means that we have an opportunity to pay our carriers more. We want them to maximize their revenue potential. And so we're constantly building our outreach towards the carrier community to ensure that they understand that how multi-stop with, with flock is considerably different than it may be uh, with others, and also how we are looking to ensure that they are making the money that they so deserve. Um, and all of this combined with the fact that there's a, a driver shortage, combined with the fact that there are issues in the supply chain, um, you know, the flock business model lends itself really well to helping you know, alleviate at least some small portion of those issues. I, I love that. And especially from the selling point of, hey, carriers, you can still, you're, you're, you're losing out on money here. So why not make an environmentally friendly pitch to them that they can make more money and also save, you know, Mother Earth? I think that that is a, a win-win for all folks involved. And, and and coming from a marketing background, extensive marketing background, as you have, you, you have quite the amount of experience, I would imagine, working with the internal sales team. 
How are you guys balancing the roles and responsibilities between, because it, a lot of times it's it's seen as marketing versus uh, versus sales, but how, what about at Flock Freight? How are you guys managing, but also respecting the roles that that each person brings from a marketing and a sales perspective? Are you guys, is it regular meetings? Is it um, just trying to align on certain topics? How are you guys finding success? Yeah, you, you know, it, it, that's a fantastic question. And I certainly have experienced that world where where marketing and sales, you know, are, you know, at ends with each other quite a bit. Um, I'm very fortunate that that is not the case at Flock. And in fact, you know, the, the sales leaders on both the, the customer sales side, as well as on our carrier side of the organization, are two of the closest, you know, not just professional relationships I have, but also friendships that I've made, you know, over the past, you know, two and a half years. And, you know, the the leadership on those sides and I meet frequently. We're always talking about, you know, what are some of the issues that we can solve? What are the things and responsibilities that marketing should have in helping to solve certain issues? And where do the sales teams need to do a better job of communicating our value propositions or what we're hearing or seeing in the marketplace? You know, I, I think the most important thing, and um, I, I think I speak for the other leaders, you know, on the sales team is that we leave our egos at the door. I mean, we are an ego-free uh, leadership team when it comes to how we go about making decisions and thinking about how we win. And so anytime I have a, you know, I don't want to call it a criticism, but certainly a, an opportunity for the sales team, um, it's met with, you know, respect. And, and it's met with, you know, the, the other leaders knowing that I'm trying to make them better and vice versa. I want to hear how marketing can do more. I want to understand the problems that they face so that marketing can help them find solutions. We are, you know, we have a company motto. It's part of our, our culture and our DNA and one of our core values that we are all in. And that means we are all in in understanding each other and helping each other to win. And it is not a battle of my team versus your team at all. I love that. What a great mindset to have. But I'm, I'm going to flip the script for this this final question that I have for you because you mentioned that you're you're pretty opinionated on pizza. So final question, pineapple on pizza, is it yay or nay? You know, I, I ask that question of people all the time. And, and on the one hand, I want to desperately be the guy who says, you know, I, you do you and whatever makes you happy. And, you know, and so I, I, I want to be that person. But I just have a hard time getting there with pineapple on pizza. <laughs> to me, like it's just the the sweet of a pineapple on pizza, like it just doesn't go. So oh, be true so to my good, new, <laughs> it, it it may be good, but be true to my New York roots. Like it's pizza, maybe it's got some meat or veggies, but like a fruit, it just doesn't do it for me. I'm sorry. Fine. I know it's I'm gonna fine. get a whole it's bunch fine. of cold emails now about pizza and pineapple and that that's their way in. That, that that I feel like that's a great set that's a great way to to end this segment. So I appreciate appreciate your time Jeff where can folks follow more of your work and Flock Freight? Yeah, they can certainly visit us at flockfreight.com. I would encourage everyone to uh, connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us there um, as we constantly have some some great content to share with uh, everyone in the industry as well as you know always some of my marketing ideas as well. Absolutely. You guys do a fantastic job across social media and your website as well. So so kudos to you guys for, for doing a good job, even if you don't like pineapple on pizza. It's fine. Thank you, Blythe. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to what that, that 
super fun interview. So appreciate Jeff for, for coming on and, and sharing his insight, especially in addition to pineapple on pizza, um, but also with his, his email outreach and how he would tackle that opening topic that we talked about earlier with cold email or cold email lists, I guess is the right way to put it. Um, but let's move on to our next guest because we've got Ilhan Koklo and that he is the chief product officer of over at ProGlove. And I kind of alluded to this earlier in the show, but let's go ahead and bring Ilhan in because they have some pretty rad technology when it comes to wearables that I have heard quoted as it feels like you're Iron Man or Superman. So, so, so welcome in, Ilhan. Hi, Blythe. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, now, as when I was listening to a show, it said that ProGlove started off four years ago, or not four years ago, but it started off years ago with four German engineers with some entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. And uh, the, the company ended up earning a lot of accolades and, and some initial seed money. And now it's just essentially just blown up all across the globe. So so give us a good breakdown of, of what that company, if, am I right on that company history? And then how you actually joined, uh, and joined uh, ProGlove. Absolutely. Uh, we've been around for seven years now. Actually, in a few weeks, uh, we're going to celebrate our seventh uh, birthday. Uh, we create industrial variables uh, that connects the human worker with uh, industrial IoT. And uh, we are, our flagship product is uh, this, this Mark scanner. This is a barcode scanner, the lightest, fastest barcode scanner that is out there right now. And it goes onto the back of the, uh, the worker's hands and, and, and enables you to be able to do scanning hands-free. So this, there is this immediate ROI that we provide with our products that so you don't have to go ahead and pick up a handheld scanner. Um, you know, there's, you know, worker well-being uh, type of use cases are fulfilled there. These micro-efficiencies certainly add up in, in, in manufacturing and logistics. Uh, and this, our offering has been um, brought off of a, actually a competition run by Intel seven years ago uh, called Make It Variable. So our four co-founders uh, from Germany, from Munich, they traveled uh, to the Bay Area. Uh, they were one of the runner-ups of that competition. They received a check, and uh, that's what started our journey. And uh, a lot of our automotive companies in and around uh, the Munich area started using our product. Then we expanded our, our footprint to logistics, uh, you know, retail, e-commerce, warehouses in that sense. And about uh, three and a half, four years ago, we expanded our operations to North America. Our North America headquarters here is in Chicago, or that's where I'm at right now. And also, I should note very briefly that as a Chicago, and I'm a pizza snob as well, uh, just like <laughs> Jeff, and, uh, and uh, I, I disagree with pineapple as well. just wanted to note it there. Oh, geez, I'm uh, so, outnumbered uh, <laughs> on this show. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. I will still be over here standing for, for pineapple on pizza because it is absolutely my, I can't have pizza without it. So I don't know what that says about me. But I'm also, I, I don't want to re really reveal this, but I'm just going to go ahead and say that, you know, obviously sh Chicago has a, a very strong hot dog. Uh, representation, but I love ketchup on a hot dog. <laughs> so I don't know what that does as far as uh, the, how this conversation goes. You can hang up anytime you want. Let's agree to disagree on food topics though, for today. <laughs> just, uh... <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just going to save my food topics for, for another time. Now, now, when I look at ProGlove, it looks like something that just makes so much sense. It sits right on, I mean, it's a fingerless glove for the most part. The, the device sits right on top of your hands so you can still keep working. So it makes a ton of sense on, on how this would save workers time and money, um, but how, or efficiency also as well. So how were workers, especially in a warehouse environment, what were they doing before the ProGlove actually came into their lives? And how has ProGlove, I guess, increased that I, probably efficiency is, is a good way to put it. 
Absolutely. I mean, the, the hands-free scanning model uh, has been revolutionary and, and we've defined a market with it uh, within the auto ID and capture market in that sense uh, globally. And, and prior to us, it was mostly these uh, handheld scanners that you might see in supermarkets and other places too, that looks like a, like a handheld gun uh, type of uh, scanner. So the workers would have them on their belts or in a, like on the counter, depending on um, the, the process they have to use it in. So, um, and our, our biggest ROI, for instance, comes from uh, the fact that you don't have to look for that, uh, that handheld scanner or just try to, you know, pick it up and, and scan something and put it back on. That saves immediately four to six seconds per um, units that per packages or parts, uh, depending on the environment that you're in, um, that, that we immediately provide that micro-efficiency. And imagine you know, in an, like an automotive uh, industry where, you know, a worker has to process 2,000 parts. Um, so multiply that three, four seconds uh, with, with that in a logistics environment of any kind, warehouses, fulfillment centers, distribution centers. Um, we, you know, sometimes the workers have to process three, 4,000 uh, boxes or, or packages in that sense. So uh, be having the hands-free definitely enables the workers in a, in a way different way. And we've, we were able to carve a pretty important niche for ourselves within uh, the logistics industry. We're seeing a lot of Postal parcel customers uh, sorry, use us. Um, sometimes they, they end up scanning like six, seven thousand, six to seven thousand times uh, per shift uh, with the scanner. So um, we provide immediate value uh, to the the process itself, to the business itself, but also the workers love us. As you mentioned, either we're getting a lot of analogies with Iron Man. Some some workers uh, say we look like they look like Spider Man when they actually go ahead and scan. Uh, in that sense, so we, we our, our product is loved by the the boots on the ground workers uh, on the shop floors, which I think is really interesting because I've heard of other robotics companies and and part of their onboarding experience when they bring robotics into a warehouse is that they have to have this psychological part of their training and part of the onboarding to to have the workers see the robots as as not somebody that's going to take their job in the future. So it has to be more collaborative. But you guys don't have that problem because it feels like that a lot of the workers are fully embracing it because it's a complement to their job instead of, I guess, a a threatening way that their job is going to be taken from them. Is that, an I I guess, an accurate representation of, of, of how you guys are approaching onboarding with this tech? Absolutely. I mean, human workforce is at the center of what we do. That's part of our vision statement. And that's us. And it'll continue to, uh, to be that way. And when it comes to human machine collaboration, like, again, we don't see it as a competition. Um, as much as automation has been eliminating certain, uh, like, human workforce oriented jobs, um, there's also been an increase in, 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 the, in the demand of these kind of human workforce uh, in, in the industrial context. So we see that as a collaboration more than a competition. And as we have started writing more and more software, because as we've grown globally into various like verticals and use cases, um, we we there, it was inevitable for us to get into the software uh, business uh, itself too. Uh, we are definitely writing more um, you know, software and building solutions and products that helps the worker connect to the ecosystem uh, around them. That includes machines. That includes tools that they use. Uh, that, includes, that, that includes the, uh, the, the computers, the mobile devices, other variables they have to wear uh, during, the, uh, during their shift. So um, I think it's all now becoming like a one integrated ecosystem. And, and our product being a variable that could also collect data, that could also provide bi-directional feedback to the workers based on any system that runs in the back end on that, on that warehouse, on that shop floor. Now, um, that enabled us to, to help the workers in the sense of like becoming more integrated 
becoming like mm-hmm. always on, always connected kind of a concept becoming a reality. I love that because then the workers feel like this is a compliment to their job, as as you say, but then you're also giving them additional feedback on how they can improve their own efficiency, which I think for the majority of workers, you always want to find out little ways that you can get better. So so I love that, that you guys have that approach. And, and there was another thing that you said in, in a recent interview um, that you and the company employees actually use your own product within your own manufacturing and warehouse. What kind of things have you discovered in your own usage that has then helped you further refine the product? Yeah, and, and we have a we have our production in Munich uh, in our in our headquarters, and then we also have uh, obviously logistics and service room over there, and we also have a, a Chicago uh, service and, and logistics room here in our headquarters in the US as well too. So I think the the biggest thing that that we um, were able to benefit from that is that we can do time and emotion studies with the data that we collect from our own wearables. Uh, the fact that it's always on the worker, we can say. Like this is the amount of time we spend on scanning. This is the amount of time our workers end up moving between scans. And this is what we're seeing in a, in a, in a picking area. This is what we're seeing in a packaging area. This is what we're seeing in a manufacturing area. So we were able to tell, it, it kind of get a whole virtual snapshot of what is going on at, on, on our own shop floors. And, uh, and in the mini location being uh, the, uh, the headquarters, obviously a lot of the new things that we do happen there first. And then we ended up like mimicking some of these processes over here in Chicago. So that definitely helps us like uh, set up benchmarks for how we should be running some of our human worker oriented processes uh, within our, our own shops. So that uh, is something that has been very valuable to us. And, and we, we were able to you know, beta test uh, some of our new features with our own people uh, in the sense. And, and, and I think it, it, it applies to this, this concept, again, to, to having an integrated offering that goes along with hardware and software. Now, now obviously, you, you have the hardware and, and you're, you're advancing on the software side of things. Do you see adding any more wearable tech to your product offering? Or are you just, you know, sort of, uh, I guess, hyper-focused at, on this big issue of, of increasing efficiency using ProGlove? Or are there future products that you plan to add in, into your, your product mix? Both, both. I think um, definitely uh, when it comes to our our you know barcode scanners, we're always working on for what what should be on these on within the next generation. How can we collect more data points? How can we make sure these are always um, ready to go, like plug and play it in the shop floor? So by all means, uh, we're definitely trying to improve our products at any given time. Same thing on the software side. Like we would like to make sure that this whole digital twin concept becomes an even more uh, applicable reality uh, on the shop floor so that we can virtualize the surroundings of the human worker and simulate things at any given time. So um, that's something that's that we find really you know, interesting. So in our in our workshop in, in Munich, uh, we have a lot of different prototypes that include several new wearables, several new versions of our scanners. Um, that also includes uh, the the consumables that we that enables our products in that sense too. So this is what we call an index trigger, for instance. We're always uh, spending uh, applying design thinking and iterative uh, de- uh, product development into building new solutions. And 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 one of the things that I like to uh, to highlight for sure is that especially post COVID, uh, we have been like we're, we're seeing that a lot of more businesses are trying to build more future proof, more resilient models. Uh, and a lot of the digital transformation projects are actually coming down the shelf. And we kind of find ourselves in the middle of a lot of implementation. So this, this increased the demand for us to actually come up with newer ways to collect data, digest data, 
and, and, and build products that would help our clients make sense out of it all. So uh, in all these areas that, that you mentioned, uh, we are very like on full cylinders, uh, you know, continuing our R&D. I love that you mentioned uh, it with building a digital twin because I, I didn't even learn that phrase digital twin until a, a couple of weeks ago, we did a story on the metaverse and how the metaverse can actually help companies build their digital twins. So, so kudos to you guys for, for being ahead of the curve. Um, now, final question, as we end off of or we're approaching the end of, of 2021, what are some things that you're hoping to achieve with ProGlove in 2022? Oh. We've been on a growth pattern um, as a like we we were, uh, we were able to raise Series B uh, almost uh, two years ago, a little more than two years ago, and then we've been uh, very successfully growing uh, commercially. We've been growing our product uh, portfolio. We've been growing our our people, and 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 that we would like to make sure that we continue with that growth pattern and and reach out to more and more customers, and 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 increase increase the number of use cases that our products are applicable for. So um, we're now um, in, in several different countries, like in North America, South America, APAC. Obviously, we have a huge presence around in EMEA as well. We're getting um, more and more sort of certified in more and more countries than in, in, every month. So that growth pattern uh, will continue for sure. So commercially speaking, our, our internal strategy is mostly around growth, as you would imagine. But more importantly, I think our number one priority is still the human workforce. Like, how can we make everything better for them? How can we make sure we help our, our logistics customers uh, with the labor shortages that they're dealing with? How can we help them build more or around integrated solutions um, so that like the worker safety, worker well-being becomes number one priority for them? And how can we make sure that we help workers upskill themselves? How can we make sure that uh, we can help our customers have our, their employees have career progression in these in these jobs? Uh, so I think human workforce uh, and, and being out there with them and being um, on the shop floors, uh, trying to productize all this need um, is something that we are very focused on and will continue to do so. I love that because as, especially, I know I've said that a, a bunch during this interview, but I just think that the, the way that you guys are are approaching this by helping workers, especially workers that are, are more or less the frontline workers of this country and really across the globe, you're making them feel like a superhero and you're making, you're giving them technology that actually enhances their job instead of taking away from their responsibility. So, so kudos to you guys. Can't wait to watch you, you, you grow in the future. Even though we don't agree on food opinions, it's okay. This is a, a fluid show. We are allowed to change our opinions, even if we try it, which I should, I would, I would advise to try it with the pineapple on the pizza. Uh, but where can folks follow your work, Pro Glove, all that good stuff. Definitely. Uh, our website, proglove.com, includes all the information about our portfolio, product portfolio. We're also very active on LinkedIn as well. Please uh, have, have uh, you know, whoever wants to follow us, you can uh, find our, our company and LinkedIn and see all the new things that we're doing, all the uh, industry events that we're joining and such. We also do a lot of digital events ourselves. Uh, and we are also hosting, starting to host again some, uh, you know, in-person events here in Chicago, also in our mini office as well. So if everyone gets tuned into our LinkedIn profile and check out our website, proglobe.com, uh, they'll be able to find that information. Awesome. Thank you so much, Elhan. It was great speaking to you and learning more about ProGlove. Appreciate your time. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, what a, a fun couple conversations that we just had, even though I'm, I am outnumbered as far as my food opinions are concerned. But let's move into our final story because I'm really excited about this and I want to make sure we hit on all points before the closing of the show. And that's the logistics of Antarctica. Now, I had originally planned on talking about this story and, and getting someone from Antarctica to actually come on the show. But since that didn't happen, 
I'm sharing my research and, and that research process with all of you on how we get stuff to and from Antarctica. And if you didn't know, there are hundreds of people that are on that continent right now that at, over at the South Pole, it's one of the coldest, the coldest place on planet Earth. So I think it's just fascinating to know why people are there and how they get stuff there and how they sustain you know, the human life there on an ongoing basis. So the first thing you kind of have to understand is that workers rotate on a summer versus a winter shift. So you're there for about six months at a time in the coldest place on earth. And, and some of the seasons they see, these workers see no sunshine at all. So that really takes an effect on your mental health. And so as they have more people in Antarctica doing studies that, that are there, they, they have incorporated more light studies as well. So there are these, what's called a, a sunlight happy room that workers can go and they can just take a break inside of these rooms that just have these sun lamps that, minim, that mimic what the sun would feel like on your face so that you can still get, you know, so you can feel some of that warmth and, and the brightness of the sun that, that a lot of people either loathe or or they would uh, just, I guess, love. Loathe or love is probably a good way to put it. Um, but some parts of the season, you see no sunshine at all. So that's really important as far as your mental health is concerned. Also, average temps range from 14 degrees to negative 76, which this Florida girl says absolutely not. But negative 76 degrees, you have workers, facilities, um, research, the integrity of the studies that you're doing down there. All of these have to be accommodating to those extreme weather temperatures. So you also, when, when you think about it, let's take a look. Let's play our first video for how inventory is managed and maintained within Antarctica. And right now you're, you're seeing a clip of some of the animals that some of the workers are able to see while they're in Antarctica. So that is a, a good part of how some of the, I guess, the when you do have sunlight, you're able to see some of the animals and, and some of the workers on that platform. But let's play the next clip that says, uh, let's take a look at how inventory is managed and man maintained. And this comes from a TikTok user. Hi guys, thank you so much for all your interest in the South Pole and what I do down here. So I work in the logistics and waste department. Um, so it is our job to take all of the waste that the South Pole creates and box it all up to be sent out um, to the United States because it can't stay on continent. Um, this is our food. There is a whole bunch of it. There are many more rows. Um, it's kept at a negative 50, which is nice and cold. So we can have it for a long time, the whole winter. Um, this is my walk to work. We are in um, what are called the arches. It's about 100 feet below um, the surface. And this is the power plant where we make all of our energy. Um, it's really cool. I will be answering more questions soon. Now, in the next clip, because you think about all the supplies that have to be to and for, that have to be shipped to and from Antarctica, you also have to take account of why the food and supplies are stored and essentially what is the ultimate refrigerated warehouse. So let's go ahead and play that clip. Hi guys, yesterday I went shopping in the South Pole and I want to show you what it looks like. So this was the ride out. That is the LMC that we took. It was <laughs> really fun. Um, so it was nice and cold yesterday. Uh, it was negative 78. There's Brandon. Um, it was our friend Catherine's birthday. So she wanted to go shopping. So we went out to the Scuba Shack, which is out at some place that we call the end of the world. Um, we call it Scuba after the scavenger bird that is and native to Antarctica because it is all of the items that people take to Antarctica and don't want to bring home. So other, other people here, we can shop through it. It's really fun. 
Um, <laughs> the door was super shut out. Um, I got a lot of good stuff. It was really fun. And so that's what happens with a lot of the different supplies, just to simply go grocery shopping. But let's talk, let's now show that if you actually leave the facilities, all the clothing items that you have to put on simply to go outside. Let's play that clip. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, it's cold as hell. You have to put all these clothes on just to walk outside. What is the whole reason why these people are even there in the first place? In this final clip, it, it will show one of the scientific studies that's currently going on in the South Pole. Ice Cube. So this is one of our DOMS, digital optical modules, and they are in the ice. Yeah, we have more than 5,000 of those in the ice, and they detect light with a big photomultiplier. And the data we collect here it's going through a cable to the, to the top, into this building where we are. Any intruders that come through the earth, uh, they interact with the ice under our feet. And when they do that, they produce a charged particle um, that is related to the type of neutrino. So it's either um, an electron, a muon, or a tau. And these particles are traveling so fast that they are faster than light in ice. And when they do that, they give off uh, this blue light called Cherenkov radiation. And that is what this big photomultiplier Oh, yeah, it's a horrible word. Photomultiply tube is trying to detect. Um, look at things like what type of neutrino it is, what energy it has, um, fun stuff. Like yeah. And then we can do a neutrino astronomy, and we can figure out where neutrinos from the universe come from. Now, that's just one scientific experiment that's going on down in the South Pole. They're doing many, many more. And I, I don't have time on this particular show to dive into all of those cool things. But if you're on TikTok, you should check out Antoinette. I, well, she spells her name A-N-T-W-U-N-E-T. -E uh, but she gives the full behind-the-scenes insight on what life and just business is like and what the scientific research process looks like, which is really, really fascinating to me. She's one of my favorite follows on, on TikTok. So highly advise to go and give her a follow because she's also in charge of logistics for the South Pole. So how cool is that? Literally and figuratively. Now to, and as we close out the show, we are off next week for F3. So be sure that you are registered and tuned in for that virtual event, the premier virtual event within the entire industry. So make sure you are registered, tune in for that. We will be back the following week right here on FreightWaves TV, Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can follow more of my work over at digitaldispatch.io, all of my social media channels, and even my inbound uh, email marketing newsletter is there as well. I'm not currently really using it, but I, I plan to use it in the future. So all of that good stuff is over on digitaldispatch.io. You can catch replays of Cyberly up on FreightWaves TV or linked in the show notes. But until next time, two weeks from now, we will see you real soon.